Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, November the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Adam Gaze's Thursday media availability was interesting, to say the least. We'll play the sound on that, discuss the topics at hand, and I'll name my unheralded Dolphins team of all time and introduce a new segment feature Friday. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter, vote the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. That is at Wingful NFL and the show is at Locked On Fins. You can find my work at LockedOnDolphins.com, FanRag Sports, 3rdand10.com, The Palm Beach Post, And today's column up on LockedOnDolphins.com is the Friday feature, which we'll discuss here in a second, talking about Laramie Tunzel. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have a bevy of injuries to cover on both sides of the football, so let's bring on the Mad Dog. All right, Miami! And Mad Dog brings us into the injury report for Sunday's game at home against the New York Jets. Basically, the deciding game in terms of which direction this season is going to go for the Dolphins, in my opinion. And Miami's injury list is so long, but the good news is it's mostly guys that were full participants. We know Frank Gore gets Thursdays off, so he was a did not practice on Thursday. Other guys that didn't practice, Charles Harris, Kenny Stills, and Ryan Tannehill, who he's not playing, but he's still limited for some reason. But two more players added to the limited list. Xavier Howard, again on Thursday, as he was Wednesday, was limited. That one is a bit of a concern, or much more than a bit of a concern. And Cordrea Tankersley was an add on Thursday as well. He was limited. But everybody else, Travis Swanson, Robert Quinn, TJ McDonald, Ted Larson, Rashad Jones, Shaquem Grant, Kenyon Drake, AJ Derby, Jesse Davis, all full participants in Thursday's practice. And the Jets are in trouble in their own right. It sounds like Robbie Anderson might not be back. Quincy Anunwa is not going to be out there. We know that for sure. Those are their two best receivers, and I don't see how this offense moves the ball without those guys. Also without Bilal Powell, who is now out for the season. Frankie Louvu, Steve McClendon, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, all DNPs on Thursday's practice as well. I don't see how the Dolphins lose this game personally. I mean, we've seen the Dolphins lose games that were better circumstances than this, but this is a game that Miami really ought to win, especially with how banged up the Jets are. They are even worse than the Dolphins are at this point with the injury. So Miami has to get out of this game with a win. And I really think they will. But you guys heard that prediction on the podcast yesterday. For the preview podcast, go back to Thursday. Check that out as well as LockedOnDolphins.com. But let's go ahead and get into first down for this Friday, November the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And injuries, as has been the case all year long, are the top story on the podcast today. But we are going to save that for the B block and hit you guys with a positive segment to kick things off today. It's all about Laramie Tunzel, the Dolphins' left tackle. I have a column, article, breakdown. I never know what the hell to call those things anymore. But it's up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Feature Friday, Laramie Tunzel. Breaking down Tunzel showing against the likes of Khalil Mack, Jadavian Clowney, Joey Bosa last year, Carlos Dunlap back in 2016. Some of the best pass rushers in this league. 
but also Tunzel's emergence as a run blocker, which has been palpable this year. Uh, that word's hard for me to say. Palpable? Palpable? Anyway, he's been great in both aspects. Let's go ahead and start there with pass protection, though, because that is his strong suit, and he has been absolutely lights out in 2018 in the pass pro department. One sack, one hit, six hurries. That's nothing. That is nothing for an offensive lineman in today's NFL. That is elite production out of your left tackle through eight games. Eight games, eight pressures, one per game. Fantastic. What's even better is he's cut down the penalties in recent weeks, but those pass production stats give him a 98.2 pass production productivity. That's also hard to say, but that is sixth best in the NFL among left tackles. And the clips that I put in the column show you that this is far from a fluke for Tunzel. He's a dominant left tackle. The feet, the kick slide, the redirection, the weight transfer, the initial punch, the hand fighting. This tape, I, you know, I laugh because it's so much fun to watch dominant players when they play in your team's colors. And I laugh because it really is kind of unbelievable how shut down he's been against these all pros across the league. Absolutely locked down. And it's not exclusive to the passing game either. You look at a lot of this team's big running plays on the ground, or even Albert Wilson's quote-unquote reception that he had against the Oakland Raiders that went to the house for a long touchdown. There's big number 78 clearing the lane for Wilson, as he has done all year long for the Dolphins' backs and wide receivers. When Tunzel gets out in the open, he's athletic enough to square up a defensive back, and from that point, it's game over. Easy pancake. But the control he has on the edge against defensive ends and linebackers and the like the control he has is so damn impressive. He can outflank, he can reach, and again, it goes all back to his hands. He's lethal with his handwork, and that allows him to control the point in the ground game. The Dolphins have him for cheap this year, again for next year, and then 2020 is a fifth-year option year, which I would be stunned if they didn't exercise that option. And then I imagine the Dolphins will back up the Brinks truck onto his lawn and make him a Dolphins lifer in 2021. Hopefully, hopefully, he is what Jake Long was supposed to be for this team. And if you guys enjoyed this segment, we're going to do this every Friday for the rest of the season. I think if I have enough guys to do it with, I know I've been kind of doom and gloom lately, but can you really blame me with this damn team? But I want to continue to focus on the positives because there are still plenty of them there to talk about. So the Friday feature will be about guys like Laramie Tunzel for the rest of the season. Next week, we'll do Xavier Howard. And then beyond that is TBD. All right, everyone feeling good now? Well, let's turn the page back to negativity land. Not really, but Adam Gaze spoke to the media on Thursday, and it was entertaining, to say the least. We'll break that down next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. It's a Friday. We got football ahead for the weekend. College and professional are Miami Dolphins hosting the hated New York Jets at home at Hard Rock Stadium. And on Thursday, Adam Gaze took to the podium to address the media as he does every single day throughout the course of the week. And we had some really interesting sound bites, some fighting, so to speak, between Adam Gaze and some of the members of the Miami Dolphins media. It was interesting. It was revealing. It was off-putting to some people, I would say. Let's just go ahead and play some of the sound, and I'll give you guys my opinion after the pieces of sound. Let's start here, and let's go ahead and start with, I suppose, the least fiery of all the comments that were made in this press conference. And this is one that I wanted to bring up myself because I was kind of maybe disgusted is too strong of a word, but I was definitely turned off by this comment. Somebody asked about Matt Burke's ability to make adjustments and stop doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. And this was Adam Gaze's answer to that question. I'm going to do the same thing over and over again and just keep getting drummed. 
Like, none of us want to do that. Like, we weren't doing well on offense in a lot of different He's talking about the fact that they don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again and getting drummed on defense. But what has changed? What changed from last year when you were one of the worst third down defenses in the NFL, when you were one of the worst red zone defenses in the NFL? And that has been fixed this year only because you drafted Minka Fitzpatrick, who has been awesome down in that area. And you've gotten some takeaways from guys like Xavier and Howard, the fourth down stops, all that good stuff. That has nothing to do with the coaching staff, though. Matt Burke continues to refuse to run dime packages. He continues to refuse to put Minka Fitzpatrick into the game over TJ McDonald. He refuses to play Vincent Taylor ahead of Akeem Spence. These types of situations and decision-making is how the Dolphins continue to suck on the defensive side of the ball. And I put all the blame on Matt Burke, but also some of that blame has to go to Adam Gaze because here he is saying this stuff. And I know he's protecting his guy. He's giving the media not very much to chew on. But I just wish there was some modicum of accountability, and I wish they would display that a little bit more in the media. And I think that rubs fans the wrong way, the fact that Gaze does this. And that's why we get some of these sound bites coming up, talking about the quarterback. And it all started with this question from this clip that you'll hear from Joe Shad, talking about big picture things with Ryan Tannehill. And this is right around the 620 mark of the press conference, if you guys want to check it out. And this is how it began. I know that, I know that Ryan's not playing this week, but I had a big picture Ryan Tannehill question Okay. There are some people, whether it's media fans, whatever, who have made their case that they've seen enough, that they have seen enough on Ryan Tannehill. And I want to know why you maybe don't feel that way. Well, I mean, what qualifications are we talking about? What's the people saying that? None. So, I mean, I don't really care what anybody else thinks. I want to ask it in a different way. Why do you yeah, still believe? I'll take a second shot. I'll, I'll try to. Why do you? It's a question about why. So just to cut them off there real quick, you heard Adam Gaze. I don't know if you heard him, but he did say that's a stupid question. And that's not fair to Joe Shad because I think it is a fair question. And Adam Gaze is always quick to go the defensive route and kind of put the you know the blame back on the person asking the question. And I think that's why he gets the bad reputation that he does from the fans and the media that don't like him because he won't answer that question. He'll just say, you're not qualified enough. And I think all he has to do in that instance is just kind of give a routine run-of-the-mill answer that props up Tannehill rather than being antagonistic against the media. I mean, I get it. I get that these guys that are talking to him about this stuff know a fraction of what he knows about football and about the quarterback position, but that doesn't mean you got to be an asshole to him and treat him that way. I think that's a good approach to the media at times, but this felt like it was uncalled for. And then you guys probably didn't hear. It's tough to hear with all the typing and stuff going on in the background, but Armando Salguero in the background says, no, it's a good question. If you guys want to go back and play it, you can hear him say, that's a good question. So here's where Adam Gaze picks it back up after the first question is shot down. Still believe that Tannehill is the we, We've made a lot of strides since we started in 2016. I mean, he had some good seasons before I got here. I know that. And we just we did some different stuff that year. We leaned on the running game and worked off the play-action stuff. He does a great job with the zone read stuff. When you have an athletic guy that can move around as much as he can, and then his arm strength has been something that I've never been, been around before where we hit like the pass we hit against Tennessee where he throws it you know, 50 plus yards in the air and guy never breaks stride. You know, I'm. So he starts talking about Tannehill's physical traits, which I put it up on Twitter today that he is one of the best physical specimens on the planet. And he is. And I got some, some rebuttals to that saying he's not. And of course the person that I, I challenged that question to didn't have a good answer for me because that's just kind of how it goes. It's kind of a blowhard person on Twitter that doesn't have a good idea of what he's talking about, but that's kind of Adam Gaze's approach with these guys. And then he went on to kind of, 
prop up Tannehill for those physical traits that he has. I'll go ahead and play that sound for you guys right here. Those are, he has some rare qualities that you can't find in a lot of guys, you know, physically. And the, the more that he keeps playing, he keeps learning game to game. And that's something to me that puts him in a position where where's our ceiling at? I don't think we're close to it. I think we just keep getting better, keep finding ways to maximize all his his skill set. Because And the reason people get upset about that comment is because the per, the results and the production just haven't matched up with what Ryan Tannehill is as a physical specimen, as a quarterback. He's an elite athlete, a 4'6 guy, a guy that can get you 50 yards on the ground in the zone read, much of the way Mitch Trubisky can do it. But he has a huge arm. He can drive that 15-yard comeback to the field side of the formation, which really is like a 40-yard throw going all the way across the field. He can rip those tight windows. Yeah, he struggles with some touch and some downfield accuracy at times, doesn't process the pocket around him at times, but that's mostly mental aspects of the game. And this is why Adam Gaze is frustrated, I think, with Ryan Tannehill, because the physical traits are there, the injuries are robbing him of playing through the course of what should be the prime of his career in his late 20s, early 30s, and he's not getting that out of Ryan Tannehill, but he does mention the physical traits of Ryan Tannehill, which have always been top shelf, top level. That's why he was selected so high in the draft back in 2012. But let's go ahead and fast forward to this Armando Salguero part that was just classic keep finding ways to maximize all his his skill set because it becomes a problem for the defense it's hard to defend him when you don't know what he's going to do is he going to be zone read is he going to sprint out is he going to run a naked is he going to go play action is it drop back are we running the ball there's a lot of things they got to defend so what was it better when it wasn't there it was i mean the first three games we played pretty good i mean we had we had yeah i mean that that happens I mean, that happens sometimes in the NFL. Like, quarterbacks get – we play New England. That's not easy. There's a reason why they win a lot of games every year. No, but I'm not saying you won. I'm saying why wasn't he better? The first three games? Than what he was previously? He wasn't any – he was the same guy. The first three games he played pretty good. I mean, you're asking me that question, you don't even know what you're talking about. So <laughs> it's hard for me to defend anything when you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you don't. I watched. He did it. He finally did it and just came out and said what we're all thinking. We all have seen Armando's breakdowns of his tape on his Instagram story or whatever you call it. The guy doesn't know what he's talking about from a film perspective. And that's why Adam Gaze gets frustrated. He probably saw, no, he didn't see it. But you see Armando's breakdown talking about how he missed a certain guy because the receiver ran the wrong route or didn't do his job. And that's why Gaze gets frustrated because that stuff is perpetuated in the media. And then Gaze has to deal with this stuff every single day because uninformed people are asking him questions about something that they don't know what they're talking about. And so I see where he's coming from. But again, that animosity and that kind of pointing the finger back at you, that stuff doesn't play very well when you're not winning games and when Tannehill's not on the field and when he's not playing well against the tough competition on the road. All these things add up to make a, a shitstorm of a story, and that's where they're at with Ryan Tannehill. I'm sure everybody in the organization is frustrated by it. I know I am. I know you guys are. But that press conference was super, super interesting, but it was fun to see Adam Gaze go after Armando like that. If you guys want to check it out, it's up on all the Dolphins' social media pages, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else. You can find that on the Thursday press availability. But we're going to finish this podcast up by talking about some obscure Miami Dolphins players over the years. I'll pick my favorites for you guys. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins.
It was a tweet by at same old dolphins, and it's called the same old dolphin show on Twitter, asking who are your favorite all-time obscure Miami Dolphins players here on the Friday Locked On Dolphins edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Travis Winkle with you guys here at Winkle NFL, and I had way too many guys to pick just one player for this list. I think I had about 15 guys or so, and I'm going to go over this list here real quick. And like I mentioned in the tweet, I don't think this list was to include guys that are specifically well-known producers across the NFL landscape. And I think guys that weren't perennially known by other people in the league or even the casual Dolphins fan, because now I know all Dolphin diehards, all of us know about Greg Camarillo or Rob Conrad, but that's for the people like you and I probably who this team has really been my life for, I mean, let's be honest, the last 20 years or so. So I have fond memories of a lot of Dolphins players. So this is my list, favorite obscure Dolphins. And just to start off things here, the best example I saw on Twitter was the name Oronde Gadsden mentioned, who was an awesome player, but he was too good. He was too well-known. And we're going beyond guys like that who were long-term starters and big-time producers. So this is my list of my favorite obscure Dolphins over the course of the last 20 or so years because I'm 31 and those are the players that I remember the best. I'm not going to go back into the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So for me, kind of in chronological order, Michael Thomas, the awesome special teamer, the big pick against Tom Brady, who he was as a man, love that guy. Patrick Cobbs, the wildcat year, he was a focal point of that offense. So was Lusaka Polite, never failed to convert a third down, fourth down conversion, was always in the mix there. Tony McDaniel was like a seventh, he got traded for like a seventh round draft pick from the Jaguars and he was awesome for a couple of years. Anthony Fasano had a few good years with the Dolphins, that 2008 year to be particular. Greg Camarillo, we all know about that. The dream killer, the touchdown against the Ravens, the 1-15 season. He had that one win in his back pocket. Andre Goodman and Will Allen, the cornerbacks from that 2008 team, they were very good that season, as was Ronaldo Hill, the safety that year. Most of these guys come from that 2008 team, which is kind of funny to me. Reagan Mawai, the juggernaut, just for that video he had on draft day when he ran through a drywall showing how much of a badass he was. That was always funny to me. Vonnie Holiday, Kevin Carter, the two Nick Saban uh, imports, I guess if you want to call them that, defensive linemen. Travis Miner, Ricky Williams' third down spellback. He had some good games and some good showings for the Dolphins. Rob Conrad, the fullback extraordinaire for the Miami Dolphins. Loved that dude. Jed Weaver, only because he had the game-tying touchdown catch in our last playoff win against the Indianapolis Colts. Jamie Nails, the left guard, who probably doesn't belong on this list because he was pretty damn good for several years in the NFL, but I don't think many Dolphins fans know about him or remember him that well, unless you're like me and are obsessed about this team. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the I think the first 1,000-yard or only 1,000-yard running back Dan Marino ever had in his career. I loved him as a kid, and I love that we had to confuse him with the basketball superstar. So that's my list up on Twitter. I threw Ray Lucas on there. But that was as a joke, so I hope you guys all understood that joke. But this team has definitely turned out some guys that you love over the course of the last several years, even if the results haven't been as good from a team standpoint. And before I get out of here, I got to give you guys my college picks because I was 4-2 and two last week, and when I win, I'm all about it. So this week, I'm taking Wisconsin minus 30 over Rutgers, Georgia minus 10 over Kentucky, West Virginia and Texas over 58 points total in the game. Alabama minus 15 over LSU. I think Bama is going to roll in that game. And I know everyone keeps talking about how they haven't played a real defense, how Tua hasn't seen a real defense, how they haven't had to play a good team yet. Well, that's what Nick Saban and his staff thrives on, selling that chip on their shoulder. They're going to come out and put it on the LSU Tigers, especially without Devin White for the first half. So Alabama minus 15 over LSU. 
I think they win by a lot more than that. Stanford is getting 10 points at the Washington Huskies. Take the Cardinal. And then Washington State, the Cougs, number eight in the country. Gardner Minshew, Heisman candidate. They play the California Bears on Saturday night. The over in that is 51. Take that over because WSU passes the ball 70 times a game. And that over is almost certain to pop in that game. Those are the college picks. And that is the Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Sunday for a recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up, beat those Jets.